ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we were in the chapter regarding the obligation of the obligatory prayer, the obligation of the uh, congregational prayer, the obligation of the congregational prayer and the virtues of the congregational prayer. We had mentioned the hadith, Salatul Jama'ah, Tafdulu ala salatil fadhi bi sab'in wa'ishreen daraja, and in one narration bi khamsin wa'ishreen, that the congregational prayer is better than praying by yourself by 25 times and in one narration 27 times. More virtuous and more reward. 25 times or 27 times. More virtuous and more reward for the one who prays in the congregation instead of praying alone. So carrying on from that chapter, this is the chapter that we were still in. There were certain reasons that a person may miss the congregational prayer. Certain reasons that a person may miss a congregational prayer. One could be that he has a genuine reason. Like, for example, illness. He is sick, he is ill, and so he can't make it to the mosque to pray in the congregational prayer. Or due to fear, there is some fear of something if he leaves the home, so he can't make it to the congregational prayer due to that fear. So there may be a genuine reason behind a person missing the congregational prayer. If that genuine reason occurs and it is his habit that he normally attends the congregational prayer, then he will still have the reward written for him as though he has attended. That is in accordance to the narration إِذَا مَرِضَ الْعَبْدَوْ سَافَرْ كُتِبَ لَهُ مَا كَانَ يَعْمَلُ صَحِيحًا مُقِيمًا That if a servant becomes ill or he travels, then it will be written for him what he used to do when he was in good health and when he was resident. The second reason why a person may miss the congregational prayer is without any proper reason the first circumstance is he misses with a proper reason like illness or fear the second circumstance is he misses without any reason out of laziness or some other form of explanation which isn't a legitimate reason in that case if he prays at home out of laziness for example doesn't come to the mosque the majority of the scholars say his prayer is still valid, acceptable. However, he obviously loses a great deal of 
reward loses a great deal of reward missing the prayer in the mosque and praying it at home by himself we mentioned the narration about the blind man what happened in the narration about the blind man a blind man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, Nobody can direct me and take me to the mosque. So is it allowed? What did he want to do? He wanted to pray at home. So he said, is it allowed for me to pray at home? So first, at first, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Yes. But then, after he was walking away, now he got his answer, it was yes. As he was walking away, the Prophet ﷺ called him back and said to him, Can you hear the adhan? He said, yes, he can hear the adhan. So then the Prophet ﷺ told him, in that case, answer the adhan, meaning, go to the mosque and pray. So this indicates the great station, the great virtue of the prayer that a person even in that state, blind, nobody to guide him. Because he lives close to the mosque, he can hear the adhan, he goes. And we spoke about the adhan issue. In those days, the adhan would travel as far as four kilometers, two miles plus. So if you live within that type of region to the mosque, you should come. It's not a case of I can't hear the adhan. In these buildings, the way it is in the cars and the traffic, you can't even hear the adhan 10 meters away. So that isn't an excuse. If you live in the vicinity of the mosque, then you should come to the prayer. The congregational prayer should be done where? In the mosque. The congregational prayer should be done in the mosque. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah said, وَمَنْ تَأَمَّلَ السُنَّةِ حَقَّ التَّأَمُّلِ تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ أَنَّ فِعْلَهَا فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ فَرْضٌ عَلَى الْأَعْيَانِ إِلَّا لِعَارَضٍ يَجُوزُ مَعَهُ تَرْكُ الْجَمَاعَةِ Ibn al-Qayyim said, if you focus on the sunnah, you look at the sunnah carefully in this issue of the congregational prayer, you will take note, it becomes very clear that the obligation of praying in congregation in the mosque is upon every male. Upon every male. That obligation to come and pray in the jama'ah, except if there was some off chance legitimate reason to miss. فترك حضور المساجد لغير عذر كترك أصل الجماعة لغير عذر Leaving the congregation in the mosque is like you are leaving the unity. You are leaving the, the overall congregation of the Muslims and separating yourself and isolating yourself. Rather you come into the congregation and you pray. And if people start making the congregations outside, Somebody says, in my house, there's five of us, we just pray in congregation. In my house. The father, the son, the three sons, whatever, we get together, we pray in congregation. Every prayer we pray in congregation, but we just do it at home. 
That is not correct. That is not the meaning of congregational prayer. Congregational prayer, the meaning of it is in the masajid, in the mosques, not getting together in your homes or other places and saying we do congregational prayer. It should be together in the mosque where that congregational prayer occurs. Otherwise, if people start doing them in their homes everywhere else and say that we're doing congregational prayer, that means the mosques are going to be left empty. And that is not what the sunnah has required of us. Rather, you come and fill the mosques. If there is a reason to pray the prayer in congregation but outside of the mosque, if there is a legitimate reason, then okay. Like what? As Shaykh Al Fawzan says, إِذَا دَعَتْ حَاجَةً لِإِقَامَةِ صَلَاةِ الْجَمَاعَةِ خَارِجَ الْمَسْجِدِ كَأَنْ يَكُونَ الْمُصَلُّونَ مُوَظِّفِينَ فِي دَائِرَتِهِمْ وَفِي مَجْمَعِ عَمَلِهِمْ وَإِذَا صَلُّوا فِي مَكَانِهِمْ كَانَ أَحْزَمْ لِلْعَمَلِ وَكَانَ فِي ذَلِكَ إِلْزَامَ الْمُوَظِّفِينَ بِحُضُورِ الصَّلَاةِ وَإِقَامَتِهَا وَلَا يَتَعَطَّلْ مِنْ جَرَّاءِ ذَلِكَ الْمَسْجِدِ الذي حولهم لوجود من يصلي فيه غيرهم لعله في تلك الحال ونظرا لهذه المبررات لا يكون عليهم حرج في الصلاة في دائرتهم Sheikh gives an example about people in their workplace Imagine now you are a group of you Muslims working in a particular workplace somewhere and the way Especially nowadays we know your shifts, etc. There are only certain breaks. It may not be possible for the Muslims, all of them to leave at the time of prayer and the company starts to struggle, all the workers, Muslims have gone. Not possible, that's the way it is these days. So in those, in those types of situations, then it would be permissible for that group of Muslims just to get together in the workplace where they are they can't get out, not enough time to go to the mosque, which could be a few miles away. They could just come together and pray together in congregation there. That, in that type of situation, then it is allowed. It is a, an exception type of situation. It is not the norm. It is people working, they can't get their time, they can't all leave for the prayer at the same time. So they get together. Like doctors in a hospital, they couldn't all leave at the time of the prayer. Shifts, etc. It's not possible. So then they could get together and pray their congregational prayer. A few of them get the break together and pray, things like that. That is allowed. But otherwise, a person doesn't just have any excuse to miss the congregational prayer. You must come to the masjid and pray in the congregational prayer. How many people do you need for it to be considered a congregational prayer? What is the minimum? Two about three four who said four so some people say to make congregational prayer you need at least two people some people are saying you need at least three people somebody is saying you need at least four people you need a full row mm -hmm. so aqal ma tan'aqidu bihi salatul jama'a ithnan this is the opinion as Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentions. You need a minimum of two people to make a jama'a prayer. You need two people. You can't do it by yourself. You can't be jama'a by yourself praying. Just you. You need at least one person with you so that there's two of you and then one can be the imam and the other one is praying 
behind him that can be considered as a congregation لِأَنَّ الْجَمَاعَ مَأْخُوذَ مِنَ الْإِجْتِمَاعَ وَالْإِثْنَانَ أَقَلْ مَا يَتَحَقَّقُ بِهِ الْجَمَعَ The jama'a, salatul jama'a, it is derived, the word jama'a, derived in English as we say congregation. How do you get a congregation? You need at least two people to come together to consider this as a group or a congregation. One can't do it. So that is where the word comes from and that is the minimum to have two people. There is a narration, it mentions Al-Ithnan Fama Fawqaha Jama'ah Two or more is a Jama'ah. In the famous hadith, Man yatasaddaqu ala hadha, who will give charity to this one? Meaning who will join him to pray? Because then it was said, Hadhani Jama'ah. When one person did stand up to pray, it was said these two are a jama'ah. So the minimum is two. When it comes to jumu'ah and things like that, there's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Can two people do jumu'ah or not? One of them, the khatib, gets up on the member and just one person sitting on the floor. Can you do jumu'ah like that? No? No? One person say, yeah. One person do the khutbah and one person sitting on the floor, all the rest of the mosque is empty. So, it's a difference of opinion. Some scholars, they say two minimum is acceptable for Jumu'ah. Many of the scholars, they have the opinion, two as a minimum is acceptable for the Jumu'ah. The khatib and one person on the floor. You are Jumu'ah. So you can do the khutbah, you can do the Jumu'ah prayer. Other scholars, they say, no, it's got to be at least three. Some scholars have the opinion, you need three minimum, khatib and two people on the floor. Like the Hanafis, they have that type of opinion, Abu Hanifa, his opinion, that you need three at least. What is the proof? We mentioned this once before. فَاسْعَوْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ In this ayah it says, talking about Jumu'ah, فَاسْعَوْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ Hasten towards the remembrance of Allah. فَاسْعَوْ in Arabic is a command form for the plural. Plural in Arabic, command form for the plural indicates minimum three. Because if it was two, the command would be, if it was one, the command for one is is'ah. For two, it's alif. Three or more, it's Here, the three or more one is mentioned. Three or more. So, some of the scholars, they say you need three minimum for the Jum'ah. And there are other opinions too. If you go to books of fiqh, some say 40. And some say other things about how many you need for the Jum'ah prayer to be accepted like that. So minimum anyway for the normal prayers, minimum you need imam and how many people behind him? At least one. But in that case, he won't be behind him, he'll be next to him if there's just two of them. What about women? The congregational prayer for the women. Do they come to the mosque? Are they allowed to come to the mosque for the congregational prayer? They are allowed. But it is better for them to pray at home. 
it is permissible for women to come and join the congregational in the mosque, the congregational prayer in the mosque. It is permissible for the women to come and join the congregational prayer in the mosque with the permission of their husbands. With the permission of their husbands, they are allowed to come and join the congregational prayer in the mosque. They must make sure that they are not wearing any type of fragrance when they come out. They must make sure they are not beautifying themselves in any way when they come out. They must be covered completely and properly and not mixed with the men. All of those conditions in place, they can come. And where do they line up? Where should the women line up? At the back. The women line up at the back because the best rows... The best rows for the women are at the back and the best rows for the men are the front. The best rows for the men are at the front. The reward for praying at the front in the first row. In the days at the University of Medina, the students used to almost have competition to try and get those spaces. As soon as they saw a tiny space, squeeze yourself in. To the first row To get to pray on the first row Everybody used to hasten to that If you come to the mosque And there is space on the first row It's still empty The students at the jami'ah It would be ridiculous You think he's crazy if he goes and sits on the side at the back somewhere Space on the front row you're going to leave it And you're going to go sit at the back somewhere and let that go Somebody else is going to take it No chance When there is space on the first row they would hasten to take those spaces on the first row. So this is something important. And in this country, often you see the people, they don't seem to understand the virtue of that first row. People come in, there is space on the first row, they go and sit on the back. By the time the iqama happens, the first row is full, they miss their space on the first row. You were here, there was space, why did you miss the space on the first row? So much reward for it. So there is a great reward for that first row for the men, and the best rows for the women are at the back. In the hadith, what does it say? لَا تَمْنَعُوا إِمَاءَ اللَّهِ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ وَبِيُوتُهُنَّ خَيْرٌ لَهُنَّ Don't stop the female servants of Allah from the mosques. Don't stop the women basically coming to the mosques. But بُيُوتُهُنَّ خَيْرٌ لَهُنَّ There Houses are better for them. More reward for the women to pray at home. More reward for them to pray at home. But the hadith says if they want to come to the mosque, don't prevent them. Don't stop them from coming to the mosque. Allow them to come if they want to come and pray in the congregation. And there could be different reasons for it. Could be different reasons for it that they come to the congregational prayer. What if you go to Umrah, you take your family, 
You take your mom and your sister and you all go to Umrah. You do tawaf, you do your sa'i, you have your hotel. Where should the women pray the prayers? But where? In their hotel or in the haram, in the masjid? In their room? Okay. In the masjid? Should they pray in the haram? In the Kaaba? Go there, pray next to the Kaaba or stay in the hotel? In the hotel? That's better? Better than praying in Al-Masjid Al-Haram? Better than praying in Al-Masjid Al-Haram and Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi? The hotel is better? Mm-hmm. So? It applies, the same applies. The reward is greater in the hotel. The reward for the women is greater that they pray in their homes. Aisha radiallahu anha, where did she used to live? Where did she used to live? Next door to Al-Masjid al-Nabawi. Next door, the wall, and there's Masjid al-Nabawi, through the wall. Where did she used to pray? Often. In her home. 1,000 rewards for praying in the Masjid al-Nabawi. She used to pray in her home. Because the reward is greater for the women. However, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean if you go there, you should tell the women stay in the hotels. Of course, of course. When you go there and the way that the situation is and all of the packages and the... You want to go and you want to go to the haram. You want to go in there. You want to pray there. Fine. Absolutely good. Because the hadith says don't stop them. And of course they want to go. And they want to see the masjid. and want to pray in the masjid. Absolutely good. No problem in that. But the rule overall applies the same. That the prayer is better in their homes. What if there are a bunch of women, there's a few women, like imagine you have a few sisters, your mom and a few of the sisters you've got, can they all pray in jama'ah in the house? They stay at home, they pray in jama'ah, the few sisters, can they pray in jama'ah in the house? Who's going to be the imam? One of them, a woman imam, Absolutely, amongst themselves, they can have one of them leading the prayer and they pray. That's okay, one of them can be the imam, leads the others in prayer. But what about a woman being the imam in the mosque? When the woman gets up and does the khutbah and everybody sits, you're laughing, huh? But you know why? Because people are ignorant and many people don't understand Islam properly and many people they have gone astray, they have become misguided, they don't understand the Quran, the Sunnah properly, they have followed their desires, they have followed the shaitan, the whispers. There are some places in the world where the women do the khutbah and the men sit there and pray. And this is impermissible, this is impermissible, it is not correct. It is not allowed to do it in that way. You know, let me tell you something else. You know there are some places, at least one place I heard of. Huh? No, no, there are, for the women there's many places. This is a different story now. One place about the Jum'ah prayer. I heard about a place. They pray the Jum'ah prayer what day? 
Saturday. You know why? They say, look, everybody's at work on a Friday. It's a work day. Weekend, Saturday, everybody's free. For the sake of the people and everything, we're going to do our Jum'ah on Saturday, the whole time. So everybody can attend. It's good for the Muslims. So they do the Jum'ah on Saturday, the whole time. Is this what Islam told us to do? This is the problem when people go misguided and they start following their desires. And they are not following the Quran and the Sunnah. You can't swap anything around. What the legislation has told us, Jumu'ah is on Friday. So you must make it on the Friday. Ah. Swap your work to Saturday, good idea. Swap your work and everything to Saturday, then you can come and attend the Jumu'ah on Friday. Ah. Then, وَالْأَفْضَلْ لِلْمُسْلِمْ أَنْ يُسَلِّيَ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ الَّذِي لَا تُقَامُ فِيهِ صَلَاةُ الْجَمَاعَةِ إِلَّا بِحُضُورِهِ لِأَنَّهُ يَحْصُلْ بِذَلِكَ عَلَى ثَوَابِ عِمَارَةِ الْمَسْجِدِ Now, then the Shaykh, goes on and talks about going to the masajid and attending the jama'ah and getting the reward for that. Which masjid is better for you to pray in? A mosque that is far from your house or a mosque that is close to your house. Remember, when you're walking to the mosque, every step knocks off sins. So which mosque is better to go to? Something which is far from your house or near to your house to pray congregation? Which one's better? Far because you'll get more reward and more sins knocked off. That is what some scholars say. Others, they say, no, you should pray in the mosque which is near to you but remember all of this is talking about a situation where all of the mosques are ahlus sunnah in a situation where you only have one mosque in your city which is ahlus sunnah then the, this issue doesn't even come into it you just go to the masjid which is ahlus sunnah there's no question of going to the other mosques and other places pray with ahlus sunnah pray with the people who are upon the truth unite and congregate with those who are upon the sunnah وَمِنْ أَحْكَامِ صَلَاةِ الْجَمَاعَةِ أَنَّهُ يَحْرُمْ أَنْ يَأُمَّ الْجَمَاعَةِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ أَحَدْ غَيْرْ إِمَامِهِ الرَّاتِبِ This is the other thing now. In a mosque where there is a fixed imam, it is not allowed for anybody else to take over and lead the prayer without the permission of that fixed imam. So in a mosque, normally they will have a person who is the Imam of the mosque. He is the only one who has the right to lead the congregational prayer. He is the only one. Unless he has said somebody else can do it when he's absent. That means if he's late, if the Imam of the mosque is late and the time for prayer is here, what do you do then? You are supposed to wait. What does everybody do instead? Say, Yalla, quickly. Look, two o'clock now. Time, timetable, two o'clock. Do it now. Straight away, iqama, somebody lead the prayer. This is wrong. Even if the time comes, you're supposed to wait. Wait a little, yeah, that's it. Wait a little bit. Wait a little bit. If after a few minutes he still hasn't arrived, then fair enough. Somebody lead the, uh, do the iqama and pray. Because then it looks like something's happened, something, he's not coming. 
But at first you wait. Wait a little bit. Maybe he's just running late. Maybe the traffic, something. You don't have the right to just step up and start leading the congregational prayer. You have to wait for the imam. After a while, if it looks like he's still not turning up, then okay, do the iqamah and pray. But otherwise, you don't just have the right as soon as 2 o'clock he's not here. That's it, let's pray. Somebody lead the prayer. It's not like that. Unless he has given permission. If he has said, if I'm not here exactly on time, then such and such has the right to just start praying. Then okay. But if he hasn't said that, you gotta wait. And if he doesn't come after a while, then you can pray. Uh, also, this is the same scholars say, the right of leading the prayer in the home of somebody. If you're in the home of someone and for some reason the congregational, the prayer time comes, the owner of the house has the most right to lead the prayer. He has the most right first, unless he gives the permission to some of his guests, one of you lead the prayer. The same in the mosque. The right is for the imam of the mosque, unless he gives the permission to anybody else. وَذَهَبَ نَعَمْ ذَهَبَ بَعْضُ الْعُلَمَاءِ إِلَىٰ أَنَّهُ إِذَا صَلَّى بِجَمَاعَةِ الْمَسْجِدِ غَيْرْ إِمَامِهِ الرَّاتِبِ بِدُونِ إِذْنِهِ أَوْ عُذْرٍ شَرْعِي يُسَوِّغُ ذَلِكَ أَنَّهَ لَا تَصِحُّ صَلَاتُهُمْ You know, some of the scholars even said, if somebody else steps up and leads the prayer, when the imam is missing one day or whatever other reason, Without waiting or without permission, he just gets up and leads the prayer. Somebody who isn't the fixed imam and there is no proper reason for him to have done that. Some scholars say all of your prayer is invalid. The imam is the one who had the right to do that. You didn't have right to go lead the prayer in the first place. So some scholars, they give very strict opinion. You can't just get up and start leading the prayer. The imam, the fixed one. Or the people who are substitutes for him. They've been appointed. If the imam is not here, then you lead. If he's not here, then you lead. Those people, you don't just tell anybody lead the prayer. وَمِنْ أَحْكَامِ صَلَاةِ الْجَمَاعَةِ أَنَّ مَنْ سَبَقَ لَهُ أَنْ ثُمَّ حَضَرَ إِقَامَةَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ سَنَّ لَهُ يُصَلِّيَ مَعَ الْجَمَاعَةِ تِلْكَ الصَّلَاةِ الَّتِي أُقِيمَتْ Imagine now, you've prayed, like for example, uh, Maghrib just now. Imagine you prayed Maghrib somewhere. You already prayed. And then you come to the mosque. You come to the mosque. Or better example, Isha. Imagine we did this before. Imagine you're traveling somewhere. You're on a journey and you combine your Maghrib and Isha in the journey. Because you don't expect to get back to Bolton in time. But the driver, mashallah, doesn't care about the laws. And you get back quickly. You get back quickly to Bolton in time for the prayer. You've already prayed Maghrib and Isha. You combined it. You didn't think you were going to get back. But you made it in time for the prayer. So you come to the mosque. But you've already prayed Isha. They're just doing the iqamah now to pray Isha. What are you going to do now? Join and pray what? You already prayed Isha. Mm-hmm. What about if you just sit at the back on one of those chairs and wait? No. If the prayer is going on, the congregational prayer, even if you've prayed, you should join in and just pray nothing. Join in and pray nothing. 
Don't just sit at the back and wait for the congregational prayer to finish. You come to the mosque and the prayer is on, join in. Even if you pray, just make the intention of nafal and join in. That's why it's a mistake. Sometimes you see people sitting in the back, they say, but we're, we're travelers or we're this or we're that. The prayer is going on in the mosque, join in. Join in with that congregation, you don't just sit back. And it will just be a supererogatory prayer for you, a nafal prayer for you. وَمِنْ أَحْكَامِ صَلَاةِ الْجَمَاعَةِ أنها إذا أقيمت الصلاة أي إذا شرع المؤذن في إقامة الصلاة لم يجز الشروع في صلاة في صلاة النافلة لا راتبة ولا تحية مسجد ولا غيرها. When the person starts doing the إقامه once the إقامه starts it is impermissible for you to start any other prayer. Imagine you walk into the mosque and you're just about to start تحية المسجد. You're just about to start and you hear the man, he's got up and he starts, Allahu Akbar, Allah, he starts doing the iqama. You can't think to yourself, okay, let me just quickly do my tahiyyatul masjid. You can't start the prayer now. You can't start it because you've heard the iqama for the obligatory one. Forget this one now, go and join the obligatory one. You cannot start any prayer when you hear the iqama. You have to go join that prayer. What if you already started? Imagine you walked into the mosque. And you started Tahiyatul Masjid. As you're praying, all of a sudden, you didn't realize it was short, so short. They get up and they start doing the Iqama. You already started, now what do you do? So what do you mean, break the prayer? Cut the prayer? Break it? No more words left, huh? That's right, you're right. Cut the prayer, break the prayer. So you can cut the prayer. You can break the prayer and join the congregation. But the scholars, they say, like in that example there, Tahiyatul Masjid. Imagine you walk in and you start praying Tahiyatul Masjid. You just start praying. You're in your first rak'ah. You're in your first rak'ah. And you hear the iqama. If you're in your first rak'ah and you hear the iqama, there's no way you're going to be able to pray both rak'at and still catch the takbiratul ihram. They're going to start by the time you finish and join in. In that case, as Shaykh Al-Thameen, he mentioned, cut the prayer. You cut your prayer and you go join them. However, imagine you start at Tahiyatul Masjid, you've done your first rak'ah, you're in your second rak'ah. You're in your second rak'ah and you hear the iqama. In your second rak'ah, it is possible you could quickly finish it and still manage to just about catch them before they say, Allahu Akbar. If that's the case, then okay, finish it quickly. Shaykh al says, if you think you can quickly finish and still catch them before the iqama finishes, then okay, just quickly finish your prayer. But if you can't, then in that case, break the prayer and join the congregation. The hadith says, hadith says, إِذَا أُقِيمَتِ الصَّلَاةِ فَلَا صَلَاةَ إِلَّا الْمَكْتُوبَةِ when the iqama is done for the prayer, then there is no other prayer you can pray except that obligatory prayer. That is the one you have to pray then. And it's a mistake what people do. They come and start praying Tahiyatul Masjid. Then the iqama suddenly happens and they just carry on. And maybe the imam even gets to the ruku' in the first raka'ah before they come and join. That's a mistake. Don't carry on praying slowly your Tahiyatul Masjid and the obligation prayer is happening. Then you stop that and come and join the obligatory prayer. Exactly. 
You're praying a nafal prayer, sunnah prayer. This one going on is a obligatory fard prayer. Which one is higher? The obligatory fard prayer. You can't give priority to your sunnah prayer and do that and carry on with that. And the obligatory one is happening. That is an absolutely perfect rule. That is mentioned in the sunnah. You cannot give priority to the sunnah over the obligatory. Any questions up to there? That's the end of that chapter. Anything up to there so far? No, you, you have to be a little bit quicker. You don't take your time casually praying. If you're praying, then just pray it a little bit quicker so that you can finish and make sure you join in with the congregational prayer without missing it. So if you think you can, just a little bit quicker, finish your prayer and catch the congregational, okay. If you can't, there's too much left, then you just break in and join. If you go too fast and the imam is behind you, what do you mean? Like you finish your fatiha and the imam is still reading it. Then you have to wait. You have to wait. We're actually going to get to that. Next chapter right now is about that. When you join and how do you follow the imam? How do you follow the imam? How far behind the imam do you have to be? When the imam says Allahu Akbar and goes into ruku'ah, how long do you have to wait before you say Allahu Akbar and go into ruku'ah? How far behind the imam should you be? Because obviously we know you can't be ahead of the imam. You can't even be exactly equal with the imam. You don't say it exactly when he does everything. You're supposed to be just behind the imam. But how far behind the imam are you supposed to be? That's the next chapter we're going to discuss. Huh? Yeah, this is a topic about the adhan. We mentioned it briefly before. Once the adhan is done, it is not allowed for you to leave the mosque. It is not allowed for you to leave the mosque. But in that situation, is it obligatory for the women to pray in the congregation in the mosque? Generally, the rule is no. So you could say it is still allowed for them to go because they, they are allowed to pray at home. It is not an obligation for them to have to pray in the mosque. But a man, if that happened... A father comes to pick up his son and all of a sudden they are doing the iqamah. You can't pick up and go. To join in and pray. Pray the prayer before you go. They're doing the iqamah of the prayer. It's going to pick up and leave. That isn't right. For the men they have to pray then. But otherwise, like we said before, if you're in the mosque and the adhan happens, you're not allowed to leave the mosque. You have to stay and pray the prayer. There are some reasons you would be allowed to leave like emergency. Some emergency happens, you can go. Some medical emergency happens, you can go. Scholars even mention things like you need to make wudu. Obviously, like we said in the mosques, normally the wudu area isn't in the mosque. It's normally a building outside the mosque. You can leave to make wudu and come back. Even the scholar said about lessons. Imagine there's a lesson starting in another mosque uh, straight after Isha. Like my situation here every week. So now there's another lesson in another mosque straight after Isha. So even if the adhan was done here now, I leave because to pray there and to do that lesson for the purpose of attending a lesson, scholars say you can leave after the adhan and go and pray in the other mosque for the sake of the knowledge and the lesson that's going to happen there. They do mention that as a reasoning. So there are certain reasons why you could leave, but otherwise you have to stay. Mm -hmm. I don't recall. So bring us that if you can. I don't recall about the, uh, the order of the congregation for the women. If it is mentioned about the same, no, I don't remember. So uh, perhaps, perhaps. Mm.
you know, the little bit forward thing, you know, people do it as well. When people come late to the mosque and there's two people praying, one, the one person who's leading always has half a step ahead of the other one. That's a mistake, you know. When two people are praying together, you should be side by side in the row. Straighten your rows. You are one row now. You have to straighten your row. It's a mistake. They think the imam has to be just ahead. You straighten your row then. But then you just follow him. Stay behind him. When he says, Allahu Akbar, follow behind him. Don't do it next to him. No, perhaps, perhaps you're right. I don't remember though. Oh. Check, check inshallah. Oh. That next time. Next chapter is about the raka'at and you miss some, we'll do that next week. Uh, why? They didn't know what was happening or what? You were combining because of the rain. Yeah, so you should combine. I mean, those people, if they have some opinion that we can't combine, some people have these types of opinions. And they are not correct. The opinion is clear about the rain, you can combine. So they need to educate themselves about the sunnah. Combining is allowed when it is rain. Permissible to combine. And it's not good for you to leave. The iqama is being done for the combination of the prayer. It's not good for you to leave there. You should combine. And if you think it's not allowed, then bring the evidences. You can look at them and uh, look at the hadith about combining and you'll see that it's permissible. No, for the, rain of the, uh, the reason of the rain... You have no reason not to pray it. You should pray. That's the sunnah. That's the sunnah to do it. That's only about the summer issue sometimes. In the summer, some of the mosques combine Maghrib and Isha. That there is a difference of opinion about. <coughs> Sheikh bin Baz, Sheikh Ahmed Najmi, many of the big scholars, they don't agree with that. Even if the, in England, like the sun, Maghrib is very late, Fajr is very early, only four hours in the night, some scholars still don't agree. Sheikh bin Baz and Sheikh Ahmed Najmi and Sheikh Al-Hidan, I think. Many of the scholars don't agree with this combining. They say, so what if it's late? Just pray a little bit later, estimate the time. It gets Maghrib at 10 o'clock in the UK, pray Isha at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, quarter past 11, no big deal. Just estimate the time and pray it. So some scholars don't agree with the combina combination of Maghrib and Isha in the summer because of the small night and the early Fajr and those things. But some scholars have given the fatwa. If you didn't want to do that, then you could pray Nafal. You could pray Nafal then just for the sake of not leaving the Jama'ah. You could pray Nafal in the summer when they are combining and pray your Isha later on in the time. Because many scholars have that opinion. You've got to pray your Isha in time. That's not an excuse if the night is only a few hours. The times are fixed for the prayers. So pray your Isha on time even if it's a small night. So, mm. Then the scholars say you estimate to the nearest country. So Greenland and uh, some of these places, for a few months it doesn't really set properly. Scholars say look to the nearest country where it does set properly. And estimate your times from them and pray. Hmm. What was it? That was last time. Did we do any more homework last time? What was it? Ismail, who? Who's that? You had homework? Which one was it? Some questions here. Is a woman allowed an unmarried woman allowed to go on vacation with her kids without a mahram if her kids her sons are at the age of being a mahram if they are at the age of being a mahram they are at the age of puberty sons boys at the age of puberty they are her mahram then she would be allowed to travel to a muslim country vacation to non-muslim countries is haram 
But if you went to a Muslim country, you want to go on a vacation like Morocco and these places. If she had sons who were at the age of puberty or over, they are mahram. But if she doesn't have sons of that age, then she can't just take them and go and travel. Not allowed. And vacation, remember, only Muslim countries. Go to Morocco, go to some place like that. You can't go to vacation to Kufar countries, to European countries. Uh, for example, living in Bolton, going on a long weekend break in Birmingham or London or Scotland. Same thing. If she has sons who are at the age of puberty and are mahram, she can go. If she doesn't and her kids are young yet, her sons are not at the age of puberty, she's not allowed to go. If you're intending to get nikah, do you need to disclose your past history to your intended spouse? It would be advisable that you do explain as much as you can about yourself. Keeping secrets won't help. So you explain whatever you can and whatever questions are put to you, be honest and explain. There's no point trying to keep secrets and then causing problems afterwards. When you're looking for marriage, you speak honestly and truthfully about what it is they are asking you about. And then the decision is made upon that. So we leave it there for this week then. Inshallah ta'ala carry on next week with the next chapter.